Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 5th, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiplett. Good evening, sir. All right, glad to have y'all both in. Uh, Tonight we're real excited. One of our a uh, guest that's been on since the uh, early days of the Cozy Vine from Daily Co's Elections, the head of Daily Co's Elections, David Neer, is going to be our guest, and we're going to talk to David about all kinds of issues, mainly focusing on the 2023 election on Tuesday. But until then, we're going to try to talk about some other things. Until later, we hopefully have time to make a few predictions ourselves. Um, but let's just start off with – um, Speaker Mike Johnson is, is in control of the legislative process on the House side and how bills come up. And he put together a funding bill, I guess, I don't know if it's for the total government, but it included um, funding for the um, you know aid to Israel and, and the war in the Middle East or the, or the conflict efforts in the Middle East. But it took the money that was given in aid and cut it from funding the IRS, from actually collecting the taxation, which goes to any project you might want to fund. Um, this this pa- uh, package actually passed the House, had, I want to say in the neighborhood of like 13 Democratic votes. Um, surprisingly, I think a few Republicans actually voted against it too, but it passed. But this bill is highly unpopular in the Senate where Democrats have the majority, and there's probably not any of those 13 possibly we're seeing um, in the House. And then also it's DOA as far as passing the president's desk. Uh, what's your thoughts, Catherine, on what Speaker Mike Johnson did as his first legislative maneuver? Well, I think it's um, uh, generous to say that he's in control of the House. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, even, even though he should be uh, Well this bill was crazy Because um, I, I don't know how much you all Have read about it but In essence by cutting the IRS You're actually Cutting the amount of money that We collect From taxpayers Because you don't have enough people To make sure that people are Are Paying their taxes properly and all that so it ended up actually being uh, an additional – it added even more to the to the deficit, according to the uh, Congressional Budget Office. So it was a it was a mess, and it proved something that I think we all believe is that he doesn't really understand the either the um, process or and he doesn't have a very good handle on on math. So, uh yeah, this was a this was not a very 
an encouraging sign for a first bill from our new speaker. Yeah, Tim, um, let, let me kind of put it this way on this, this maneuvering you did. Now, I could appreciate if somebody – I'm going to use sales tax rate since that's just really simple math uh, for audio. Let's say, you know, one party wants the sales tax rate to be 8%. The other party wants it to be 7 I can appreciate that one party says, hey, let's have a lower number. And, and you can argue with that and try to figure out how to get it to – Seven percent instead of eight, but effectively, what he did by cutting the IRS and enforcement of the tax rate, be it seven or eight, it'd kind of be like Dollar General's going to collect tax, Dollar Tree's not, Kroger's going to collect tax, uh, Publix is going to collect half that tax. It's going to be uneven because some people are going to pay their fair share, others, particularly folks with you know more high-powered accountants are going to find tax loophole poles and shelters, some which might not be illegal, are legal and the IRS can't go after it. Um, doesn't that seem inherently unfair? And I thought the Republican Party was all about fairness, right? Well, of course they are. Uh, I, I'm no ta- tax expert, but obviously, uh, as Catherine mentioned, uh, things don't add up. This move's going to cost... It's going to increase the deficit by twelve and a half billion dollars uh, because and maybe reduce, more re, reduce revenues. Um, that, and you know, talking about not being money wise on the same planet, you know, President Biden had asked for one hundred and six billion dollars in supplemental funding to support Israel, to support Ukraine, and for border security. And the House only passed $14.3 billion in standalone funding for Israel and with, with the offsets. And, you know, they passed this knowing that it was DOA in the Senate. They knew this, and they went ahead, and they passed it anyway along with the help of 14 Democrats. So none of, none of this makes any sense. And uh, when... This bill is sent right back to him because it's not going to make the floor in the Senate. We're going to see what uh, uh, what kind of control uh, the new speaker has and if he knows how to govern. Uh, I'm not very hopeful of any of it and uh, <laughs> offsets for the IRS. They, they want to do away with the IRS, guys. Mm-hmm. We know that. I don't know who they think would collect the taxes. Somebody would have to, but they want to do away with the IRS, and they have for a long time, these right-wingers have. Well, and and if you didn't collect any money, then you would have anarchy. You wouldn't have a lot of things they like that well, they say they want. I mean, a lot of David, things they, we about you know, want, like anarchy going through now, libraries buddy. and getting books. Yeah. What? Tim? I just Come said, on. we about have anarchy already. <laughs> yeah, we we yeah. really do. I thought we were having audio. Uh, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's just going to be, you know, I mean, it's just not a plan. You know, it's one thing to reduce the level of taxation in a predictable, agreed amount. It's a totally another just to, you know, get to where things are not at all inherently um, well, fair, where we get a fair share. My, my question is this for you. Why would they pass 
something that they know has no chance of passage in the in the other end of the capital, coupled with the fact that they've got like twelve more days now to to worry about the entire and they're getting nothing done. Twelve days till the oh. government shuts down. Twelve days. I guess. Oh, I think string, they yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's posturing, and you know there are probably some people, particularly in their base, they can sell this to. Hey, we passed the budget, and we were finding the money this way and that. And of course, you know they say that three things are super popular: um, more spending, but lower taxes, and people don't want to have a federal deficit, even though a lot of times that when the lower taxes and the more spending come together, they just keep increasing the deficit. So. They can sell it as, hey, we were going to get this bill passed, and it was the Democrats, it was the Senate Democrats, it was President Biden, on and on and on. Well, let's talk about the next plan. And we'd heard this floated, and I'm not sure how this piece fits together, but uh, Mike Johnson was going to do 12 separate funding bills that would somehow be rolling. I'm not even sure if all of these then had to be passed by November 17th, or some did, and then some can be extended out. But nevertheless, instead of one fight every so often, now you're going to have 12 of these. Um, I'm sure some would be more and less popular, some more contentious, some less. Um, Tim, you probably know more about this to set this up. How is this 12 rolling budget proposals going to work? Well, he wants to put 12 different deadlines on spending bills for 12 different major uh, agencies with the threat of rolling shutdowns. If he passes one and it gets signed into law, good. If another one don't pass, shut the shut that particular department down. And, and they're planning on doing all this with 12 days until government funding expires. This is not reality. He's pushing what he called, um, I believe he calls it a laddered CR, a continuing resolution that would fund different areas of the government and have different end dates. Uh, and it would run out for most everything till January the 15th. It would be a massive headache for both Congress individual agencies because they have to work with each other agencies do if one is funded and the other one shut down government can't function like that and the democrats are universally opposed along with some republicans it is definitely not going to fly in the senate and it's almost like they want to shut the government down man because this idea is insane yeah, I'm getting that idea, too. Catherine, um, one, the broader question, that I just want to shut the whole thing down? And two, I get the sneaking sense that certain things would pass by Republicans, things they agreed with, and things they didn't agree with, which a lot of people probably do, they would just go ahead and let those shut down, right? Right, exactly. You know, they'll let the Department of Education shut down. They'll let uh, anything that has to do with climate change shut down. Probably the uh, FDA and anything that has, like, a lot of regulations that people complain about, 
and then, you know, whatever else they let stay open. But, you know, Tim's absolutely right. There's no way this is going to work because everybody has to work together. And, uh, like, I agree. They just want to shut the government down. They like that. It's provocative no. and and it um, gives them some kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't even want to say what I want to say. Um, so, yeah, that's that's their goal is to shut it down. Yeah, and um, I, what the, the crazy thing is, is every time they've shut it down since the early 90s, it's always hurt their party. It's always been right. blamed on them. They right. never learn. I don't think this time would be any different. Um, but they just, it's, I guess, if you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. Um, it's, it's their one tool in their toolbox. <laughs> That's right. Well, let's go ahead and move to... Let's go ahead and move something else real quick. We're going to try to do some buy, sell, and hold. I feel like we'll do one before David near comes on and then a few after. But um, we did get another presidential candidate, one that I'm not so sure anybody wanted, um, but we got him anyway, a congressman from Minnesota, Dean Phillips. Um, I guess he came in in 2018. I remember a book that talked about what they called the majority makers – and they were kind of comparing it to some members that got a lot of attention from really super democratic districts that won, and then other ones that won districts that were very persuadable. And they actually mentioned Dean Phillips. That was my only knowledge of this gentleman before this past week. He's been making some noise, but he finally made the move, and he's decided he's going to run for president. Um, early polling, he's been in the single digits. Saw a new poll today from the Democratic primary. There was another poll that got a whole lot more attention. But his contention is that um, the Democrats need a choice in the primary for President Biden, and he's going to be that choice. Um, Catherine, buy, sell, hold Dean Phillips' candidacy in the Democratic primary. Well, obviously, he's not going to get anywhere, but it might be uh, it might be helpful. To have someone, there might be some issues that that could use some sunlight that Joe Biden won't talk about. Um, but I always fear that that's just going to weaken uh, Biden, which we don't need to do. So I'm going to sell. Well, and, and I'll say this: so far, the big thing he's mentioned is inflation. Now. I, like most people, don't like paying more money for things, you know, for no reason. I mean, I don't know anybody that's like, hey, things went up. That's great. But I understand that inflation has really been pretty much a worldwide phenomenon. We've actually had it easier than places like Turkey. Prices are up across the globe. So, I mean, if you think, hey, this is all Joe Biden's fault, you really think Joe Biden's pretty daggum powerful if he can you know, control the pricing of the global economy, I, for one, think economics is bigger than any one individual, even the person that's claimed to be, as the president of the United States has been for decades now, the most powerful man in America or the world. Um, so I, I see that that's the issue he seems to be focusing on first as he talks. Um, Tim, I'll pass it to you now. Buy, sell, hold, Dean Phillips. Gonna sell him. I, I 
every poll I've seen, six percent tops. Uh, and you know, he he's not going to get anywhere. There's not going to be any debates. He might get a few interviews on some of the cable news shows. That's where I've seen him so far, and he's not going to gain any traction. We we we, you know, it's going to be a Biden Trump race, regardless of what anybody thinks if the polling is right and the polling can't be that wrong on this so you know he you know he's not helping anything by doing this at all including his own future in the party selling yeah and i'm going to do my buy to hold first and then we got to get to me the bigger issue here i'm going to sell i mean i just don't know you know what the end game is but it is polling six percent I was actually surprised to see that Steve Smith, um, you know, one of the never-Trumpers that supposedly gets it that, you know, you've got to defeat Trump first and foremost. That's why he left the Republican Party. He was John McCain's um, campaign manager, a longtime contributor to MSNBC. He's actually advising his campaign, um, so he has – Someone that has some name, but you're just kind of like, why is he doing this? Who will call that into question? And that's John Steve Smith, of course. The bigger question is Dean Phillips. I mean, seems like he's going to give up a perfectly good house race. He's being primaried. He was going to be primaried after he started talking about this um, because it's obviously not going to be popular in the Democratic primary in Minnesota where he's got to win re-election should he choose to. So I just have to wonder, what is the end game? Um, I, I mean, it's, his campaign seems to be the, to the right of Joe Biden. And I'm not saying there's not some room to the right of Joe Biden, but I, I just it seems like a weird um, angle to play. I mean, he is younger, but nobody knows who he is uh, going in. So, um, And I don't know that he has a huge fundraising base or fundraising potential. Catherine, do you have any idea why he's doing this? Oh, who knows what drives people to do things like this. You know, he had a dream or he had, you know, someone said something to him and it prompted him to think it was his time. Or he's prepping to run again some other, you know, later. And this is his, like, test run, which is a stupid thing to do. But uh, who knows? You can't, like, you can't figure it out because it, it's, everybody has their own little, you know, algorithm that, you know, tells them when to do things. Yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and pause the discussion here. Before we get back into this with more of this, this strange, uh, you know, quixotic campaign of uh, Dean Phillips. But right now we're so excited to welcome in to the Kudzu Vine for I don't know how many times from Daily Co's elections, Mr. David Neer. Welcome, David. It is a pleasure to be back, folks. Oh, same here. Well, um, like I've said at the top of the hour, we're mainly going to talk 2023 elections because there's so many exciting ones across the country. Uh, kind of more on, I guess, on this side of the Mississippi, but um, maybe some other ones you, you mentioned or know about that we don't aren't thinking about. But I think it's more in that section. But I do want to ask a little bit of preview 
for 2024, and it kind of piggybacks into this whole economic question. Um, the economy, and of course we would have to have hours to you know discuss the economy in total, but the economy is really is a mixed bag with some really good things. The employment numbers are great. Wages are up, which is also outstanding. Uh, some of the best numbers in really um, not even recent American history, like American history. But then at the same time, there is more inflation. Um, and so as we know from the 92 campaign and really every campaign, it's the economy, stupid. It's always about the economy. So looking at this next year, what do you think uh, the Democrats, Joe Biden, some combination thereof, should do to navigate the um, American economy, which is going to be front and center as a, if not the, one of the issues that decides people's vote? Absolutely. Well, I think it's really important to remember that just last year, Republicans were absolutely certain that the economy was going to drive the entire election. And at the time, inflation was still much higher than it is right now. And most of the traditional media and the punditry bought into that view. And it turned out to be pretty wrong because voters had a lot of other concerns on their mind as well. Abortion was absolutely one of them, and so was democracy. So I think we have to be careful about predicting whether it really will be the economy stupid uh, in next year, because, uh, you know, the, uh, think about all the issues in foreign policy right now that are also really front and center. And the other thing I want to emphasize is that here is a really long time. And who knows what things will look like a year from now. If we have a recession, that's a potential game changer. If the economy continues to improve, that potentially takes this issue off the table for Republicans. And I feel, in, you know, you mentioned inflation in particular. I think that while the rate of inflation coming down, of course, that's a good thing. I think people are still experiencing a lot of sticker shock. I mean, I know I am when I, you know, go to the grocery store or, uh, you know, uh, look at the menu of a restaurant uh, and things still seem pricier uh, than ever before. So just because inflation has slowed down, you know, prices are still feel high compared to what we've been used to for so long. But maybe a year from now, things people will get maybe a little bit more used to uh, new price levels. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not predicting that, certainly. Um, but if we have a year of low inflation that of the sort that people are really used to, then maybe people will feel differently uh, come November 2024. Yes. Well, I, I just felt that that was so critical, and it, it will kind of set this year off. And I know there was a memo circulated just this past week that was, um, you know, kind of a year out from the election. So I want to start there before I get to 2023, and I'm going to ask you about one of the states, probably not the state that's like the one that everybody's going to use as the bellwether, unless it does flip and they're going to go, oh, wow, this really does change things. In the Magnolia State, um, Elvis yes. Presley's distant cousin, Brandon Presley, is running against um, incumbent um, Governor Tate Reeves, who's been under some scandal. And we did get a poll from one of our friends, uh, Tom Jensen, at public policy polling that makes this race look competitive um, but it was just one poll recently, so tell us your feel of what you think could happen 
in Mississippi on Tuesday. But my first reaction is we shouldn't be talking about Mississippi as a competitive state at all. I mean, it's Mississippi. Democrats haven't won statewide there in a million years. So the fact that Republicans have to have to be sweating Mississippi right now, that's not a good sign for them at all. And, you know, four years ago, Democrats thought maybe they could make that race competitive. And it wound up being about five or six points. But this year, they've put in a lot more money, particularly the Democratic Governors Association, the DGA, has put in a lot more than they did four years ago. And also, the, the thing that I feel is most different, and you alluded to this, talking about Tate Reeves and all the scandal surrounding him, is that four years ago, it was an open seat race, and Tate Reeves wasn't all that well known. Now, Mississippi voters have had four years to get to know him, and he's one of those guys who I think, like one of those politicians who the more you get to know him, the, the less you like him. That's at least the, the vibe I get from him. And, you know, in, in, in a state like Mississippi, obviously, a Democrat has a really, really narrow path to walk to, to, to get to a statewide victory. But corruption is one of those things that knows no partisan boundaries. And if you're stealing from the taxpayers, man, that is hard to defend. Uh, Reeves's defenses of, you know, the, the, the state's welfare scandal and Brett, Brett Favre uh, just seem really weak and pathetic. He's obviously gone straight back to the usual playbook of trying to portray Brandon Presley as some kind of radical. I don't know if, if, if those kinds of hits are going to stick. Look, like I said, it's Mississippi. You still always got to figure Republicans are going to win. But if, if I were the GOP, I would be kind of upset to even be talking about this one right now. Oh, I think you're right. And, 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 David, I set you up. You could have said if the Republicans lose on Tuesday night in Mississippi, they're going to be all shook up. You know, I, I <laughs> led you in with some of those kind of things, but you didn't oh, take it. Oh, so. too easy. Too easy. That bad. Yes. Oh. Bad <laughs> If I only knew more Elvis songs, um, we could go further. But but I do think that is an interesting angle because, I mean, you are talking about Mississippi's most famous citizen. Um, you know, uh, from that state, and this is his cousin, which seems about as good of a recruit as Democrats can get. Well, right. um, he's obviously one in his own right up in North Mississippi. Well, I just had those two questions to start off with because we got a plan for Catherine and Tim to cover so much more of the nation. Right. So I'm going to Catherine. Hey, David, thanks for being on tonight. Uh, before we get into, uh, I want to talk to you about Ohio. I just want to congratulate you on 20 years. I saw that post that you made. And the funny thing is, is just yesterday, a bunch of us who were um, Dean supporters back in the day got together to celebrate 20 years of political action and friendship. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting um, thing. And I guess there's probably people across the country who are sort of recognizing that 20 years of work since uh, Dean ran for president. So thank you for all your hard work in these 20 years. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, it, it really is quite a milestone. And congratulations to you on, on 20 years of Dean activism. You know, I, I really got my start uh, with the, the Dean grassroots movement, too. But I, I also really have to specifically thank you guys for m much more than that, because you were really just about the first folks ever to have me on any sort of uh, radio program. And, you know, a couple uh, last year, it's been about a year and a half now, we launched our own podcast called The Down Ballot at Daily Coast Elections. And 
really, I can credit you folks for, uh, you know, giving me the experience, giving me a shot at speaking about elections on the radio, on a podcast. So uh, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to, to create that podcast were it not for you folks. Oh, well, that's a very nice thing to hear, and congratulations on that, on your podcast. So congratulations all around, all of us who <laughs> have been doing this work tirelessly for, I mean, some of us have been doing it for a lot longer than 20 years, Tim, and me, oh, but, um, but these last 20 years have been, have been great. Anyway, so I want to talk to you about Ohio, specifically about the abortion and the weed bills, um, and how, like, what your predictions are about the success or failure of those, and then what it means sort of across the country for both those issues, because I personally think they're both very important um, for obviously different reasons. But um, what, what, what's your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Is abortion so, still going to be like one of these top of the ballot issues that people are worried about? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of pundits last year, uh, you know, come, come, you know, October, November, they were saying, oh, well, the Dobbs decision was months ago, you know, got, but, but gasoline prices are still high. So, you know, abortion is going to be in the rear view. Are you kidding? Have you ever met a woman? I mean, it was incredible short sightedness. Uh, and there's no doubt about the incredible intensity that many Democratic voters are still feeling around abortion. And why should that change? Because it's still illegal in many parts of the country. And so I think that Republicans absolutely remain on the defensive over this. And it's difficult to poll ballot measures, and we haven't seen a lot of polling. But the polls that we do have show issue one in Ohio passing. And this is the amendment that would enshrine abortion rights and other reproductive rights into the state constitution. Now, that said, both sides have spent a ton of money. Republicans are up to their usual campaign of lies. They even managed to put a misleading summary of the ballot on of the amendment on the ballot so that it says, for instance, uh, that uh, it refers to instead of the fetus it refers to the unborn child. So they've done of everything course. they can to rig the game and to put their thumb on the scale. And I think that it will probably pass. I think it will likely pass, actually. But I think it'll be maybe a little closer than we would like. But again, here's the thing. Ohio, this is a state that went for Trump by eight or nine points, right? So if abortion, I mentioned a moment ago, you know, it's motivating Democratic voters, but it's also clearly motivating some voters who normally vote Republican but are pretty disgusted at the GOP over this. And that is a huge problem. That was why Republicans lost a lot of races. They should have won in 2022. I don't see why that's going to go away in 2024. Hmm. Right. I, I agree with you. And I, I, I absolutely agree. This idea that it's, um, oh, it's so long ago. Yeah, but it was just yesterday that your you know, best friend was unable to get the services they needed. You know what I mean? Like it, it may mm-hmm. have been a year and a half ago that the law was changed, but it was yesterday when it had an impact on me or you. Yep. Or, you know. So, um, and then what about weed? I yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it, it, uh, this is a measure to make recreational marijuana legal in the state of Ohio. It's called issue two, 
The polling has also shown it passing by a wide margin. I think this one is very likely to pass. Neither side has spent money on it. So uh, opponents are nowhere to be found, but even proponents haven't uh, been spending major money on running ads uh, on behalf of it. So I expect it to pass. I feel like Republicans who are opposing marijuana legalization at this point are, I mean, they're fighting the last war. I think it's so clear where things are headed. And yeah, I I, I would be very surprised if this one doesn't succeed. Yeah, I mean, all the the states who have passed it are, you know, most of them are seeing incredible um, upticks in tax collection and uh, reduced crime and all those things that, um, that we like, you know, all those, uh, all the, you know, the, you know, none of the things that everybody said were going to happen have happened in any of these states. So that's good news. I hope that it happens across the country. Um, any other, um, Ohio news that you want to talk about? Anything else that we need to be aware of? Yeah, so those issue one and issue two are the two big things on the ballot uh, on Tuesday, but there will also almost certainly be other measures on the ballot next year in Ohio that are of great, great importance. And the number one issue that we can expect to be on the ballot next year is redistricting reform, because we saw how Ohio Republicans totally abused the state constitution and took advantage of a prior set of reforms that really had huge loopholes in them and managed to pass gerrymandered maps over and over again, despite the state Supreme Court ruling that they violated the state constitution. So reformers are now trying to qualify for the ballot that would actually put in place a real bona fide independent redistricting body, take it out of the hands of politicians, and that will have a huge impact on Ohio politics if it becomes law. So keep an eye on that one for 2024. I hope we can see more of that across the country, too, because it certainly would save some time in the court. <laughs> well, thank you very much, David. I'm going to pass it to Tim. He's got a whole bunch of questions for you. I'm Thanks ready. Thanks so much. Yeah. Tim, Tim always has a whole bunch of questions, not just on this show, but in life in general. <laughs> so here, here we go, David. Thank you for being with us tonight. And I'm going to start with your words because I'm looking at them right here on the Internet, and you have said oh boy. in a post that beating Donald Trump next year starts with winning in Virginia this year. So I know a lot of people are scratching their heads about that one. Why would legislative race results in Virginia portend what happens in the presidential contest? That is such a great question. And I want to maybe sort of step back just half a step before I answer that. When you're heading into an election, the most important thing is believing you can win. Now, this is not just some sort of Tinkerbell fantasy clap harder and, you know, make her come back to life. What I mean by that is in order to convince candidates to run, in order to convince donors to donate, in order to convince volunteers to volunteer their precious time, you need to believe that you actually have a chance of winning. Because if everyone thinks, oh, well, it's a hopeless election, why bother, we're going to lose anyway, then it becomes 
so much harder to do all of those things that go into a successful election cycle, recruitment, donations, volunteering, so, so, so much more that I'm leaving out. I think that a victory in Virginia on Tuesday would help progressives and Democrats all across the country understand, oh, yeah, we actually are doing pretty well, despite what the Beltway pundits want us to believe. And we actually do have some real momentum going into 2024. And yeah, we, we, we are the ones with the winds at our backs, not Republicans. Now, that said, Virginia, both chambers of the legislature, they're very, very close. It really could go either way. I think mm-hmm. it'll probably be pretty close in both the House and the Senate when all is said and done. So I don't necessarily know that we can you know, draw a straight line from whoever wins Virginia to winning the race, race for the White House in 2024. But wouldn't you rather start the cycle off with a bang? I sure would. Oh, yeah. Now, now Governor Yunkin has been doubling down on his proposal for a more restrictive abortion law if the Republicans happen to win control of the state Senate and hold the line in the House of Delegates where they have a narrow majority. That don't sound like really smart politics to me. Is is that going to work? Man, Republicans badly want it to work. They desperately need it to work. I've been a little bit gobsmacked by it. It doesn't seem like the kind of issue that they would want to center. I will say they have had success in really browbeating the media into switching the language it uses because when Youngkin first proposed this stuff after the Dobbs decision, everyone was calling it what it was, which was a 15-week abortion ban. Now mm-hmm. they've managed to get some of these papers uh, to start referring to it as a limit or limitation. I mean, are you kidding me? What? what? That, <laughs> that's, that's so cynical, but also like, how can you buy into that? Like a 15-week abortion ban means that at week 16, you're freaking banned from getting an abortion. That's outrageous. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a ban. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is a classic Republican maneuver going back to the Karl Rove, Lee Atwater. I mean, really forever, <laughs> going back forever of, yeah, you can't win, uh, you know, straight up. So you start to manipulate the language around this. And I, I, I don't know. Obviously, I'm really, really hoping it's not successful. But also, it may just be uh, an, an act of desperation because they know they're going to get hit over the head by this. And it's worked mm-hmm. in many races throughout the country this year. I mean, think about the Wisconsin Supreme Court election. That issue was front and center. So, yeah, maybe it's kind of like it's a bad option, their least bad option. We'll know in a couple of days. All right. Well, speaking of knowing in a couple of days, um, a month ago, the polls looked really good in Kentucky. The governor was up by 16 points in one poll on um, Cameron. And uh, that very poll uh, was redone this week and showed a dead heat. And it was accompanied by a few other polls that show a tightening race. What uh, Now, I, I'm nervous to start with because I know that Governor Bashir only won originally by 5,000 votes in a state that normally votes 20 points to the good for Republicans in federal races. 
And he only won because he was running against, Lord, the worst governor I've ever heard of in my life. So is he going to hang on against David Cameron? You know, I, I, I know the poll you're referring to, and it obviously got a lot of attention. But mm-hmm. part of the reason why it got a lot of attention was because it differed from all the other polling out there. And I think the mm-hmm. other polling is from much more reliable outlets. But when you, know, when you have such a, a limited amount of polling, I think it always helps to look at other signs of which way a race might be heading. And there's a couple of different things we can look at here. One is that Democrats have far outspent Republicans on this race. Now, that is by no means uh, a guarantee of Democratic victory. You know, if, if, if uh, elections were won by the side that spent the most, uh, then, you know, every self-funder uh, would, would always win. And of course, we know that doesn't happen. But I think it also speaks to the enthusiasm around Cameron, whose personal fundraising has been poor, and also around the uh, Republican Governors Association and their allies. You know, how come money hasn't been flooding in for them, but it certainly has for Democrats? So that's one thing to look at. The other is what I'm going to call for lack of a more precise term is the body language coming out of the GOP here. And what I mean by that is when you are campaigning publicly, there are certain signs that certain moves send. For instance, If you fire your campaign manager and you don't have a replacement lined up right away, that means that you probably have a campaign that's in some turmoil. That isn't what happened here. But what happened here is even more interesting, which is that with just about a week to go in the race, Daniel Cameron, the Republican attorney general, completely pivoted on his messaging. They had spent months and months once again, trying to portray Bashir as a far left radical, you know, in cahoots with Pelosi, et cetera, just like they do all over the place, just like they're trying to do to Brandon Presley. And then Cameron released this ad that started with him saying, well, you know, Andy Bashir's a nice enough guy. Wow. Whoa. That was a, just a huge total turnaround. So now, you, now you're saying, well, he's a nice guy. We just kind of have some differences of opinion about the way the state should be run, really, after calling him an out-of-control nutcase. And uh, the Republican nominee for, uh, I believe, uh, the, the Republican Secretary of State, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, also ran an ad showing him with a photo of him shaking hands with Bashir. Like, whoa, what is going on here? It, those are the kinds of things you do if I, I, I'm sure the Secretary of State, the Republicans are heavily favored in that race, but it, it, it sends an overall message about how Republicans feel about Bashir standing in the state. And those are the kinds of things you do when the incumbent's popular. And it's in, in Cameron's case, when you're probably headed toward a loss without a major change, how can you change course one week out from the election if things are going great? You wouldn't do that if things were going great. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Cameron had won pretty handily and was considered the future of the Republican Party in that state. So what happened to him? Did he just run into uh, a governor that happens to be the second most popular governor in the United States with a 64% approval rating? Is that what happened to Daniel Cameron? Or has he just run a poor race if he Uh, loses? I think the answer is yes, all of the above. Uh, you know, mm. re- re- Republicans in a 
red district or a red state, and look, this can happen to Democrats too, but I think it's, it's, it's worse on the Republican side. You know, they expect easy races and coronations. And for someone like Daniel Cameron, you know, the attorney general's race that he won was easy. Um, and, you know, uh, he uh, a, a expects a, a smooth path. That's kind of, you know, we saw in Alabama, if you think about it, with, with the Roy Moore race against Doug Jones, you know, Republicans mm -hmm. kind of figured, oh, you know, we can nominate the craziest, you know, nut bar <laughs> out there. And uh, what's the worst that could happen? We win by 15 points instead of 20, you know, um, and obviously another thing happened. And so I, I, I think that the, geo, the, the, the modern day GOP is so good at elevating candidates who are pure loyalists, who don't really have a lot of intelligence on their own. And that's what Cameron feels like to me, just like, you know, they kind of drew him up in central casting and, uh, you know, expected a glide path and boom. Yeah. Like you said, you know, Bashir's really, really popular. Uh, and that's, that's quite an accomplishment for a Democrat in Kentucky. Well, Mr. Near, I'd like to uh, second what Catherine said and congratulate you on uh, thank you. 20 wonderful years. I read you guys religiously. Uh, it's required reading in my household. I, I <laughs> tell my two Labrador retrievers that every day. I want you to know. So uh, with that, I'm going to pass it over to uh, David. David? Yes. Well, David, I wanted to leave you with one last kind of all-encompassing question. We've got all these races we've talked about. I know there's also a, a Supreme Court race in Pennsylvania. Of all mm -hmm. these different races, which result that might possibly happen on Tuesday do you think we could glean the most from? Boy, that is an interesting question. You, know, you just uh, snuck in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court race. And I feel like that is probably a pretty good one to keep an eye on. Uh, Pennsylvania is almost always a close state, though we saw in 2022 uh, in the governor's race, that, that was a blowout there for sure. Um, and I think Fetterman won the Senate race by a, a, a wider margin than a lot of pundits were predicting because a lot of those pundits predicted Oz to win. Um, but, you know, these uh, state Supreme Court races, they are always lower salience. The candidates are tend to be very little known. The races don't get very much attention, though. They get more attention these days than they did just a few years ago. And so if Democrats can maintain enthusiasm in the odd numbered year where, you know, there's no governor's race on top of the ticket, no Senate race, anything like that. Uh, in super swingy Pennsylvania, you know, even if they win by one or two points, you know, I, I, that, that would that would make me rather be Democrats than Republicans heading into 24. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned that. I wonder we hadn't talked about it and a swing state. And I'll tell you, John Fetterman just had that it factor. I caught on to that months before as we had Mike Mitkus and others on to talk about that race. And um, there's other candidates I think have that it factor. We've talked about that, too. But um, let me just leave you with this. Obviously, congratulations on 20 years at Daily Thank Post. Thank you. Tell our Amen. where they can um, you know, read that in case they don't know. You also mentioned your podcast, Down Ballot. Tell our listeners where you can listen to that and anything else you want to share. Absolutely. So the Down Ballot podcast, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon. We're on all the big platforms. Just type in the Down Ballot we are devoted to talking about down ballot elections, so everything below the presidency. 
and we come out every Thursday morning. And then if you want to uh, find us at Daily Coast Elections, uh, the best way to do that, go to dailycoast.com. That's K-O-S dot com slash morning digest. That will take you to some, the link to sign up for our Morning Digest newsletter, which is uh, what you folks are talking about, about the uh, required reading. Um, and we come out every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. It is totally free. And we cover all the key developments and all the key races for Senate, House, Governor, and much, much further on down the ballot. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a great read. So definitely check that out. Dailycoast.com slash morning digest. Yes. Well, thanks again for coming on David. And we look forward to having you on probably sometime early in 2024. Excellent. Well, thank you. And, uh, good luck on Tuesday, everyone. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. That was David Deere, Daily Coast Elections. Uh, the Down Ballot Podcast. Love to have David on. Uh, been on many times with us, and hopefully we'll continue to have him on many times in the future. Uh, Tim, before I get to you and your um, thoughts on what the end game is for Dean Phillips, I'm going to tell you, my dogs don't read. They do listen to tons of audiobooks on daily walks and rides, <laughs> the Pitador and the Dorky. They uh, consume so much literature through audio version. Um so the four of them could get together and they'd tell them what kind of conversation they'd have. Well, let's go ahead and uh, pick up right off there, Tim, with Dean Phillips. What's the end game here? I, I, I don't understand that. Okay. You know, he was on Bill Maher's show Friday night. I, I don't know if he, either of y'all saw, saw it. And he said it is whispered around the Capitol about the president's age and how his standing is in the polls and this thing and that thing. And he basically is saying no one else will say it, so he's going to say it. Uh, I still don't know where he wants to go with that. Is he trying to make a name for himself, or, or, or what is he trying to do? I don't think he's articulated yet what the end game is. He says he's tried to talk several other people into running they wouldn't do it so he's going to do it that doesn't sound like an end game to me either I don't think he really has thought the matter through that well David to be honest with you that's what it sounds like yeah I think I find it interesting it seems like every so many years two to four years somebody kind of just does their own thing and goes rogue in the Democratic Party. About four years ago, maybe six, I kind of forget now, Tulsi Gabbard kind of you know, went mm-hmm. off and on and now she's the Democrat name only on Fox News. Although I don't know that he's trying to do that. I'm thinking like that might be one of the few avenues he could be this like, you know, to, to course phrase to turn the punch ball uh, in Democratic politics. And maybe he gets some media appearances. I don't see him turning that into anything, um, you know, for a higher office or another office. I think he's going to be kind of toxic um, running in Democratic primaries. And, of course, if he for some reason did switch parties, I, I don't think he'd win there either. And I don't really, like I'll say I don't think he's trying to switch parties. I don't think he's the next uh-uh. Jeff Andrew. Um, but uh, so, so I just really don't get it. Maybe as more weeks go in. I'll understand better. I don't know that I finally said it, but I'm going to sell this candidacy in the primary. 
you did with no reluctance whatsoever. And I tell you, we were going to do two more buy-sell holds, but given we got 10 minutes and the elections are on Tuesday, let's shift now to some predictions because we can, of course, discuss the pox uh, on our democracy that is RFK Jr. in future weeks. But we'll start off with some predictions. Let's start off in the Magnolia State, Catherine. Uh, Brandon Presley facing Tate Reeves, a Republican state, that the demographics, if you could turn everybody out, might could be different. But we hadn't done that in the governor's race since 1999 with Ronnie Musgrove. Yeah, I'd I'd love to say I think uh, Presley can win, but I'm afraid I'm going to give Tater another term. I just, yeah, don't think and, and re- I just don't think there's enough momentum there. Um, I think it'll be close, but uh, I'm, I don't have a lot of uh, optimism around that. Yeah. Uh, Tim, your buy-sell hold on the governor's race of Mississippi. Well, this is simply a Republican state, and, and it's, it, it's the the numbers are not going to be there, and Governor Reeves is going to win by a moderate amount, not a large amount like like he should if he were a better governor. But but he 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 is he is going to win. The then the, it would take a massive Democratic wave uh, for Presley to win. He's a good a candidate he's been. So Governor Reeves wins. Yeah, one thing I will be watching in this is they say that, and I read this this past week, that, you know, in other states, and they mentioned Brian Kemp in Georgia, African-American voters don't really like Brian Kemp, but they don't despise him. They mentioned another state the same way, another southern state, in Alabama. African-American voters don't despise her. In Mississippi, African-American voters despise um you know, Tate Reeves, and obviously with the Jackson water crisis, with what he's done with uh, social service funding, I mean, probably other reasons too, some things he said, um, and just his aura, and that's going to be interesting because we saw in Louisiana the other week African-American turnout was abysmal, um, and if it's the same in Mississippi, Tate Reeves not only wins, he wins by probably closer to double figures. He improves on his margin um, that he beat Jim Hood by, who was a pretty popular attorney general. At the end of the day, I think Tate Reeves wins. But if this thing even, like, has to go to 11 o'clock, like you start the 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock, whatever it is, in Central Time newscast, and you don't know the winner, that's going to be a pretty decent night for Democrats, which is sad. But that at least could show some progress for the future. Then, of course, they're going to have to build their bench because one of the last players on the bench is Brandon Presley. Um, but that's kind of where I think we're at. We're in a, probably in a single-digit victory for Reeves and maybe even in the lower single digits. Let's move up north and back east just a bit to Kentucky. Um, Tim, we got Andy Bashir running for re-election. Daniel Cameron, the Attorney General, as the challenger. 
Well, Bashir's the second most popular governor in the country, as I mentioned. Uh, as Republican as this state is, I, they still every once in a while vote for Democrats uh, at the state level, and I think Bashir has earned a second term, and I'm going to think good thoughts, and he's going to barely win by, oh, three points, something like that. Yeah. Um, Catherine, uh, your thoughts on the Bluegrass State and the governorship? I agree with Tim. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than we'd like, but I think he's going to win. Yeah. Um, th- there's been a lot of polls that came out, and, and what's funny is, you know, David was completely right. We should have had more polls on this race, more polls on the Mississippi governor's race, more polls on the Virginia legislative le- uh, uh, session or the elections. But, of course, we just got more and more polls on the GOP primary race to tell us if Donald Trump was 50 or 60 points ahead of the field. Um, it, just, it was ridiculous how many, you know, much energy they put in but to that instead of something interesting. Um, but I'll tell you what, th- this does give me pause in that we had a poll that showed Bashir up by like 16 points. Huge. I mean, like how does a Democrat get it by 16 points? Then we showed it tied. So you're like, well, what does this mean? This is where you really have to get in the cross tabs, and I don't know that I was ever able to access the cross tabs on either poll to glean through more about it. Um, I guess that poll that came out recently that showed it tied kind of reminded me this is a very Republican state. This trended very Republican. Um, but Andy Bashir does seem like he wins reelection, not by as much as he probably should, given his 64% approval rating. Um, and once again, this is going to be interesting. If, if he wins by nearly double figures, Presley comes really close, you're going to start to put a picture together. If Presley loses by 10%, Bashir barely hangs on or loses, that's going to tell you a lot too. Um, let's keep moving. We've we got to stick and move. We'll go to Ohio. Catherine's exciting ballot initiative, particularly the second question. I can tell Catherine's excited about it. Um, so, Catherine, I'm going to show the first pick on this one as well. You can take them one, two separately, obviously, since they're very different questions. I think they'll both pass. Will one pass more than that, the other? Yeah. I think the abortion will pass uh, with higher no higher percentage than the weed, but I think they'll both pass. Yes. Um your thoughts on the Ohio questions? Yeah, I'm going to believe that the uh, enshrining of abortion rights in the Constitution is going to happen. Uh, I actually think uh, issue two uh, might be a little bit more popular with voters, uh, the recreational pot legalization, because simply the genie's out of the bottle. It's an idea whose time has come. I think you're going to see that happen in practically every state in the country. So both are going to pass. Yeah, I would be interested to see in some focus groups, because you know that there's some people that support one and oppose the other, and then vice versa. And who are these people and why? I find questions like that interesting, and I'm not putting value judgments on it. I'm just trying to say, you know, why is this? I think at the end of the day, both of them pass. 
Uh, Tim, you may be right. It passes by more. Um, I, and I would like to know, like, who, who is supporting which one and why, because that, you know, may pretend other things. I do wonder, and I, did the Republicans go ahead knowing that they had to do these and put this this year instead of next year? Because to me, if Democrats could have pushed this to next year, uh, even though some people would be like, I want, you know, whichever law to happen now, would it yeah, not politically you, you, been You know the answer to that. Yeah, Catherine, do you think the Republicans kind of put the squash on it because it would have been helpful to Democrats on an election year, I mean, a presidential year ballot? Uh. I don't know enough about it to to say. Okay. Well, well let's move on David, to the last because we're oh, – go ahead, Tim. I, I was just going to say the opponents of this measure uh, uh, control the apparatus right now. So, of course, the Republicans put put the election in a year where the least amount of people would be voting in hopes that, you know, those opposed would prevail. Of course they did. Yeah. And, and should one or the two of these fail, particularly the first one, I wonder what that will mean for the, the election next year, too. I mean, I think some of these things have political implications. Got about a minute or two left. Let's get to the last one we're going to pick, Virginia legislative elections. The state Senate, Democrats have a narrow majority. State House of Delegates, the Republicans have a, a narrow majority, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Tim, how's that going to turn out? Well, I'm going to pick that it stays where it is. Dems uh, retain control of the Senate, and Republicans barely contain control of the House of Delegates. And the reason I say that is there's like three or four really competitive races races on each in each side. And and generally, when you have something like that, nobody gets everything that they want. So I'm going to say it stays where it is. Okay, Catherine? I'm going to say the Democrats prevail in both in both mm. uh, houses. That would be nice. Wouldn't it be nice? Mm. That's very wishful and hopeful. Yeah. Um, I, I, y'all remember that um, in the 2022 election, Tom Bonier and Rosenberg, you know, another friend of the podcast, they talked so much about the early vote and how important it was. This is the first legislative election that's had the early vote. Also, Glenn Youngkin has pushed Republicans to early vote. So it's really skewed the, the numbers. I mean, it's not skewed them because in 2027, we'll be able to look back at 2023 and kind of actually have an apples-to-apples apples comparison. But it's kind of hard to tell what that means because if you look at those early vote numbers – they're not that rosy for Democrats compared to other races, but could it be that Yunkin is kind of, you know, cannibalizing some of the Republican election day vote? Could it be that, you know, these races just don't have as many, you know, people voting them in general? Finally, they're finding out that younger voters, if they end up voting, are more likely to vote on election day, even if they are Democratic or progressive. They're um. Not as often, you know, early all the time. Um, so, you know, we'll learn a lot. I, I do think – I've seen some people predict, and um, they actually think the Democrats will eke out a narrow majority in both. 
um, you know, the CNL analytics. So I'm going to go ahead and, and, and say they do, but I will say this. To me, more so than Kentucky, more so than Mississippi, more so than Ohio, this is going to be the one. If Democrats sweep both houses and maybe add to their majority in the Senate, you know, do pretty well, that's going to show that there's a better place for Democrats now than there was in 2021 and a state that, you know, frankly, where there's more Democrats. If Democrats the state Senate, that's going to be a really nice, a good night for Republicans. I think it's going to be bigger in other places. So it's the one race I'm watching more than the others, um, if you will. But once again, uh, thanks to David Neer for coming on the show. Next week, coming on for the second time from the University of Illinois Springfield professor, Magic Wade. She's going to be coming on, and she's going to talk to us a lot about city politics and crime politics across the nation. So once we get these elections out of the way, we can get back into some policy for a week or two. Um, but until then, then because of Yvonne. Good night, yeah. guys. Night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and...